Amen. Would you turn with me, please, in your Bibles uh, to Second uh, Corinthians chapter nine? Second Corinthians chapter nine. Excuse me, I'm sorry. That's the wrong. <laughs> Turn with me to uh, Luke. I'm sorry. It's I'm, it's 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 been one of those it's one of those mornings. Luke <laughs> chapter 16. Uh, we are uh, finishing up our series on. Uh, being a faithful steward, and um, I'll say this now, I'll, I'll remind of, of the, you of this at the beginning of our time this morning. Um, I'm thankful to God for this dear church and uh, the teachableness and the, the willingness uh, of the church to respond to the Word of God. Uh, we, we did... Uh, do this series, this four-part series on giving for a reason. That's because the giving was uh, very low uh, for quite some time. And after much prayer and deliberation, we decided it, that the best way to remedy that is to preach on it because, uh, as we're going to see again this morning, uh, your money is an issue of the heart. And uh, so we brought this before you all, and you have responded um, generously and greatly. We're thankful for that. Uh, but uh, the emphasis of this series is uh, being a faithful steward. Amen. So uh, next year, when all of your credit cards, bills comes due, um, if you have those, uh, for all your Christmas shopping, uh, the needs of the church will still be there, and that's the time when the faithfulness will also be tested as well. So I encourage you, uh, what you have been doing this past month, we praise God and thank God for that in you, but we just remind you, there are 12 months of the year, and uh, it's, you know, it's easy to be generous in this season, right? It's just, that's just the air that we breathe right now. We're, we're buying gifts, we're thinking about others, but uh, you know, next month and the months to come, uh, I exhort you that these changes that you are implementing this month, that they're not just surface, but that they're heart level changes, um, and that your whole thinking and attitude and heart towards uh, your finances uh, is what's being changed. So Luke, chapter 16 I don't know what I've told you so far. I've probably told you four different passages. <laughs> Luke chapter 16, uh, verses 10 through 13, we're looking at this morning. It says, He who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much. And he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, who will entrust the true riches to you? 
And if you have not been faithful in the use of that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Title of this sermon is Faithful Stewardship. Faithful Stewardship. I desire this morning, dear child of God, that you would steward your wealth for the glory of Christ by faithfully giving. That you would steward your wealth for the glory of Christ by faithfully giving. And there's an episode of the Antique Road Show. If you've ever watched that, it's, it's, I don't know if it's only on YouTube now or clips or if they're still airing new episodes, but uh, there's, an, there's an old episode of the Antique Road Show where a couple comes to the appraiser, you know, comes to the show, and they, you know, they have this, this they're beaming with, with pride and, and they, because they're bringing their prized possession. And their prized possession... Uh, that they believe is just so incredibly valuable is, is, is a six-piece jewelry set, earrings and, and, and so on. Uh, the couple thought that, it, that this jewelry set had dated back to the Victorian period. It was old. Um, and so with that understanding, they, they were relaying how they took great care with the jewelry they kept it in a safe. They polished it often to make sure that the blemishes wouldn't stay and that the metals wouldn't corrode or anything else, that it would be in pristine condition for generations to come. And, and of course, uh, they never, ever wore the jewelry. And so they set the... the, the um, they place a set out before the appraiser, and the appraiser looks through all the pieces and focuses in on the, you know, the, the main uh, central focus piece of the set. And uh, it, it, this piece had this beautiful uh, emerald. They thought it was an emerald anyways. Had this beautiful emerald in the midst of it. And as the appraiser looked and examined closely... It didn't really take very long at all. And the appraiser, unfortunately, had to break the news to the couple that uh, it wasn't a real emerald. Uh, As a matter of fact, the entire set and all the jewels, all the diamonds that they thought were diamonds, the emeralds that they thought were emeralds, were just glass. And what they thought would have appraised for over $100,000 was worth just a handful of dollars. You know, I, I fear that many Christians today are viewing their earthly possessions the same way that that couple viewed their set of jewelry. Like them, they take... Uh, uh, great care over their prized possessions, whatever that might be. If it's your savings account or your retirement 
or your toys or your house or your car or your bank account, whatever it might be. We put it in a safe and we prize it and we care for it and we place great value in it. But I'm afraid that many Christians today, like this couple, will come to the end of their lives with a painful realization that their prized earthly possessions were actually never of any real value. Christian, in this passage, Christ offers his followers true riches. But in order to receive those true riches... It is required, according to Christ, that his stewards be found faithful. So we need to ask, answer the question, what is faithful stewardship? We're going to look at two things that Jesus teaches us about faithful stewardship this morning. The pattern and the priority. So the pattern of faithful stewardship and the priority of faithful stewardship. First of all, the pattern of faithful stewardship. Verse 10 says, He who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much. And he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much. Stewardship. We've been throwing this term around a lot, and it's good to define our term to make sure we're speaking the same language, right? Thinking the same thing. Stewardship, biblically, is the care of another's possession, which is entrusted to you for safekeeping. Stewardship is the responsibility of looking over what somebody has entrusted to you for a time. Again, Stewardship is the care of another's possessions which is entrusted to you for safekeeping or the responsibility of looking over what somebody has entrusted to you for a time. That's what, steward, that's what a steward is. That's what you and I are. Now, the pattern of stewardship is found in this verse, first of all, where Christ says, He who is... Faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much. He's talking about a pattern. If you're faithful with the little, you're faithful with much. There's a pattern of faithfulness in the life of the faithful steward. Faithful means that you're trustworthy, dependable. A faithful person is someone who inspires trust in others. Now, this quality of faithfulness is absolutely essential as a quality for a steward. If you want to be a steward, you have to be faithful. Otherwise, if you're not faithful, he describes it as unrighteous. And in parallel passages of the, of the parable of the um, talents that illustrates faithfulness to us in the Gospels, uh, the opposite of the faithful steward is a wicked steward. So to be a steward must be to be faithful. Now what does that mean? What does faithful stewardship look like? 
Well, in Matthew 25, verses 22 to 23, it says, uh, we're, we're jumping into the parable of the talents there in Matthew, Matthew 25. It says, the one that is the slave who had received two talents came up and said, Master, you handed two talents over to me. See the stewardship? You handed two talents over to me. And see, I have gained two more talents. That is faithful stewardship. It is taking what has been entrusted to you and doing something with it for the gain and benefit of the master. And his master said to him in verse 23, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. So one part of being a faithful steward of, of, of God is taking what God has given you and making and using it for the advancement of the interests of Christ. And that's what the faithful slave did. In Luke 12, Christ gives us another uh, example of what a faithful steward would look like. In Luke 12, 35 to 38, he says, Gird up your loins and keep your lamps lit and be like men who are waiting for their master when he returns from the wedding feast so that they may immediately open the door to him when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those slaves whom the master will Find awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will gird himself to serve and have them recline at the table and will come up and wait on them. Whether he comes in the second watch or even in the third and finds them so, blessed are those slaves. So another mark of faithful stewardship is that you, he says here, keep your lamps lit. Waiting for your master. That when Christ comes, he does not find you asleep, but rather awake. What does that mean? Well, it's in the first phrase of the passage where it says, Gird up your loins and keep your lamps lit. What does that mean? To gird up your loins is to take up the, the posture of a slave, to put on the slave apron. So to be a faithful steward of Christ is to be involved in kingdom work and to not waver or fall asleep at the wheel of doing kingdom work. Oh, the temptation in the Christian life is to look back to years past of what I used to do, what the church used to do, that's not what God is going to see when he comes. He's going to evaluate you on what you are doing. So what are you doing now, Christian? Not what have you done. What are you doing for the kingdom now? Now it's great what you've done. But if you have stopped, then you are not faithful you have fallen asleep you have let the lamp burn out oh and that is a dangerous place to be 
And Christ says, it doesn't matter how long I wait. It doesn't matter how long you have to endure this world. Whether it's in the second watch or even in the third watch, it doesn't matter. Just keep on serving Christ. Be a faithful steward. Be about the work. Being a faithful steward is also described in 1 Peter 4.10 where it says, As each one has received a gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards. Good stewards, that is, of the manifold grace of God. You see, you have been given a spiritual gift, dear child of God. Dear Saint, you, you have been given a, a, a divine enablement to be used in the kingdom of Christ. The Spirit has perfectly fit you for this time in this church for a specific ministry, for a specific activity, for a specific involvement in the kingdom. And that, that has been granted to you. The question is, are you employing it in serving one another? That's faithful stewardship, is actually using it for the good of others. So, faithful stewardship is, is using what has been entrusted to you for the sake and the name of your master, the kingdom. Good and faithful, uh, excuse me, faithful stewardship is is ongoing faithfulness and not wavering or falling off in your commitment and activity of service for Christ. And faithful stewardship is also using what has been entrusted to you for the good of others. That is faithful stewardship. This faithfulness, Christian, is a quality of your character. R.C. Sproul says, what God is looking for from his people is not success, but fidelity. He doesn't measure us by our bank balance or the degree of our authority. Praise the Lord. He measures you, Christian, by your fidelity. Are you faithful or not? He's not going to you're not going to come to the end of your life and, and hope to hear, well done, good and rich servant, good and wealthy servant, good and influential servant. No. Faithful. That's all he wants from you, dear child of God. Just be faithful. God looks at your heart, the real you, your spiritual integrity, your spiritual character. Are you a faithful man? Are you a faithful woman of God? And the faithfulness, he says here, is proven in the very little thing. It's proven in the very little thing. It means the least, the smallest in size or amount. Here it is used to mean having little significance, little importance, or something that is trivial. So understand this, dear church. The way God views money is insignificant, unimportant, and trivial in light of true riches. 
We're going to explain what that is in, in a bit. But you need to have that perspective that God has on your wealth, on your possessions. The stuff of this world is insignificant in comparison to eternity. It's unimportant. It's trivial. It's fleeting. That's what he wants you to be faithful with. The little stuff. I've given you the stuff, you know, that, that is trivial. Can you be faithful with trivial things, Christian? And this is a heavenly and biblical perspective of money. And your character is seen in how those little things are treated in your life. Now, the principle here is, it says, he who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much. It does not say he who is faithful, who he, it does not say he will be faithful in much. This is a settled uh, issue of your integrity, your spiritual fidelity, who you are as a man or woman of God. What are you? Are you faithful? There's no switch that turns on faithfulness. You have to build faithfulness one day at a time, dear saint. And you can't say, well, you know, I don't have much. That's why I'm not faithful. I don't have much. That's why I don't give. The principle stands. God will not entrust you with much until you show yourself faithful with little. So the excuse of I don't give because I have so little doesn't hold up. Just be faithful with little. He's not saying give like you're rich. He's just saying be faithful. Whatever you got, whatever you give, just be faithful with that. John MacArthur says, character, not circumstances, is what determines faithfulness. What kind of a Christian are you? Just because you're not a wealthy Christian, it doesn't mean you can't be a faithful Christian. Steward your wealth for the glory of Christ by faithfully giving. Christian. Now this principle is true in every aspect of life. Because character, just like you know, flaws in character, this good quality of character, of faithfulness, is just true of you wherever you go and no matter what you do. So it's not just it's not just I'm only faithful with giving, or I'm only faithful with my time, or I'm only faithful in my marriage. It's it's what are you as a person? as a child of God. And if you're a faithful one, then that's going to show in other places as well. And it must be, faithfulness must also be uh, uh, promoted and fostered 
in all of life, not just giving. If, if Think about this. If a child, if your child cannot care faithfully for his or her Fitbit, then you're not going to buy him or her an Apple Watch. Does that make sense? I mean, that's just, that's just good parenting. If they aren't faithful to care for the Fitbit, I'm not buying you the Apple Watch. I don't care if you're, if, if, if you're the only one without it. You can't take care of the little things, then you're not going to take care of the big things. Just because I, you spent more money on something doesn't turn on a switch of faithfulness. It's character. You see? Same thing in the, in the church. We as a church do not give responsibilities in the church to men until they have proven themselves faithful to do the little things. It's not going to happen. If you want to teach... If you want to preach, you start by folding chairs and stacking tables. Faithful in the little things. You want to have influence, you start by signing up to bring a snack. It starts with the little things. If, if, if you are unfaithful in just showing up on a Sunday... I'm not going to entrust a soul to you in the context of discipleship. Because the church doesn't need more of you. It needs more of a faithful servant. So get there and then we'll talk. Be faithful, Christian. You want to be used? Be faithful. Just be there. Just do the work. Just do the low things. It's seen. It's seen. And your character will be proven in the little things. Possessions, one commentator says, possessions are a responsibility. Their use is a test of character and values. So what does your use of your possessions show about what kind of a person you are, what kind of a Christian you are. Are you faithful? Now on the flip side, Jesus says, now he who is righteous, excuse me, unrighteous, he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much. Same thing. You have an unrighteous character, then that's just gonna that's just gonna hold sway. You're not gonna become you're not gonna be an un, you're not gonna be unfaithful and then God grants you a ton of money, and then all of a sudden now you're faithful. No, if you're unrighteous, you're just going to be an unrighteous, unfaithful steward, no matter how much God gives you. Unrighteous, as a character trait, is seen in selfishness and pride, self-indulgence. That's what an unrighteous steward looks like. Someone who looks to him or herself first. Someone who assumes that he or she is owed something. Someone who indulges the flesh. As a steward, 
Unrighteousness is, is being dishonest or untrustworthy. It is developing a character so that uh, others do not have confidence that the unrighteous one will do the right thing. Is that you? Do, do others, are others unsure that you're going to do the right thing if they trust you with this? Oh, may you not be an unrighteous steward. He says, he goes on, verse 11 and 12, continuing the pattern of faithfulness. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, who will entrust the true riches to you? And if you have not been faithful in the use of that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? Here, Jesus uses the, the term unrighteous wealth. That, that is not wealth that has been gained through unrighteous means or sins, but it's just a description of worldly wealth. The riches of this world and this realm. This is worldly wealth. It is the currency of today's economy. And this, that is actually further described in the next verse. In verse 10 and 11, there's actually a parallel, right? Um, he says, uh, verse 11, if you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth. And then verse 12, if you have not been faithful in the use of that which is another's. So this unrighteous wealth, this worldly wealth, this earthly riches are in others, he says. Well, whose are they? They're God's. So even the unrighteous, the worldly wealth that you have in your bank account and that you have on the shelf at home or whatever, or that you have in your garage, that is God's possession. It's not even your own. He says, even your present income, all your wealth and your possessions are not yours, Christian. They belong to another, namely God himself. We do not own our worldly possessions. We are what? Stewards. That's what it means to be a steward, remember? It's not yours. It's just, it's just entrusted to you for a time. And then there will come a time when it's not yours anymore. You see? God has entrusted the riches of this world to you for a short time. And as stewards, you will give an answer for how you handled his possessions for him. So Christian... Steward your wealth for the glory of God by faithfully giving. That's one way to steward faithfully. He says, again, if, therefore, if you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, who will entrust the true riches for you? Now, if we, what he's saying here is, if we prove ourselves 
unfaithful with the use of unrighteous wealth, why would true riches be entrusted to you? So the question is, before we go on, what are the true riches? That's the question. And the answer is in the context. Notice, verse 10. These true riches are the opposite of the very little thing. Remember the very little thing, the insignificant, unimportant, trivial thing of money? These true riches are the opposite, which is he describes there in verse 10 as much. So then it would be those things of great significance, eternal importance, and incredible meaningfulness. Those are the true riches, the much, the significant, important, meaningful things. Again, in verse 11, they're described as true. And the, the Greek word riches actually isn't in there, but it, it's, it's supplied there to make sense of what he's saying. And, and, and it's right, it's the true riches, but it's described here with this quality of being true. That is, they are of great quality. They have value. Whatever these true riches are, they are real, not fake treasures. They are not imposter treasures. They're not like that jewelry set that is not an emerald but really glass. It's really an emerald, you see. These are true, real treasures. In verse 12, in the next verse... What's striking is they are called your own. Not another's, but your own. That is, whatever these true riches are, they are your possession. Something that is not tied to life in this world. So taken together, these true riches are the riches of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And all that that entails. Specifically, it is the treasures that are available to Christians in this life and especially in the next. In this life, the true treasures are the honor and the joy of being used in the kingdom of Christ. They are the responsibilities over ministries and souls in Christ's kingdom. They are the opportunities and increasing opportunities to be used to exalt Christ in this life. Now, we're not talking salvation riches. That's another category. All of salvation riches, forgiveness, adoption, justification, a new heart, the Holy Spirit, all of those riches, those are for all the Christians without limit. Praise God for that. You don't have to earn that. And you don't have to be faithful to have those. Those are yours, even if you're an unfaithful Christian. What grace and mercy of God. But these, these riches, this, 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 this increasing and, and, and ongoing responsibility over min, ministries and, and influence in the kingdom and the honor and joy of being used for Christ, the opportunities to be used to exalt His name, those are things that God can withhold from you 
or grant you, depending on your faithfulness. Also, these true riches are in the life to come. In the life to come, these true riches are our eternal rewards. They are the crowns of life and righteousness and glory. They are the treasures in heaven that Jesus told us. As we looked uh, a few weeks ago in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus told us that they're the true riches in heaven that Jesus told us to store up for ourselves there where neither moth nor rust destroy. Remember? It's those riches. Those are true riches. And we store up those true riches through gospel service and faithful giving in this life. Christ is teaching us here that those heavenly treasures do not lose their value to inflation or decay. But, but get this, they are yours for all eternity. Your heavenly reward will be yours to keep. Spurgeon says, much better than I could, you are rich, Christian, you are rich. Rich with true riches and not with the riches of a dream. There are times when men by night do scrape gold and silver together like shells upon the seashore, but when they awake in the morning, they find themselves penniless. But yours, Christian, yours are everlasting treasures. Yours are solid riches. When the sun of eternity shall have melted the rich man's gold away, yours shall endure. This is what Christ offers you, Christian. Be faithful. And there will be riches and treasures in heaven that are indescribable for you. And we're not talking about, well, you're going to have a real, you're going to have an 80 inch flat screen, 8K TV in heaven. That's not the treasures we're talking about. We're talking about the eternal love of God and an increased capacity of His fullness. It's the showering and the wave upon wave of sufficiency and joy and delight that will be yours. It will be what you will do for Christ for all eternity. How He will use you to bring Him even more glory in the age to come. Things that defy our understanding. And that in some sense lie beyond the veil of eternity. Those indescribable riches Those will stand. These riches of the world, these will not endure. The warning still stands, Christian. If you show yourself unfaithful with the very little thing of worldly riches, then, and and these worldly riches that aren't even yours, by the way, 
If you show yourself unfaithful, then God will not give you more of the true riches of the kingdom. That's the pattern. So steward your wealth for the glory of Christ by faithfully giving. Now, why so stern? Why so strict about this? Why not? Why doesn't God just say, you know what? It doesn't matter if you're faithful or unfaithful. I'll use anybody and everybody. And, you know, all of you can be preachers, right? Or all of you can be missionaries. All of you can be evan- All of you can be Apostle Pauls, right? Why does he not do that? Why so strict and why hold back these things because of a lack of faithfulness? Why, why demand, why make that demand on a Christian? Well, Christian, it, it is because your money is a heart issue. That's why. God is after your heart. That's what this is about. Verse 13, the priority of a faithful, a faithful stewardship. No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Now again, your money is a heart issue. And it all boils down here in this verse to what you love and what you are truly devoted to. He says, first of all, no servant can serve two masters. Now think about it, right? It's impossible to be the slave of two masters, especially when both masters demand absolute loyalty. Imagine having two bosses at work telling you to do two different things at work and giving you two very different uh, work tasks. How frustrating would that would be? How impossible would that be? Or imagine young one having two teachers give you two different homework assignments for the same subject. How impossible would that be? Who do I please? And parents, by the way, may it not be that your child has two parents with two sets of expectations, two rules to live by. Mother and father must be united in their expectations and rules. Otherwise, what? The child will hate one and love the other. You're going to demand your child take sides. And you don't want that in a home, dear parents. That's for free. Um, Why is it an impossible task to have two masters? He says, because either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be devoted to one and despise the other. That's why. Because there will come a time when the two bosses, the two teachers, the two parents will give two conflicting commands. They will pull in two opposite directions. And that is exactly what happens with money or wealth. To serve it is to love it. 
to serve it is to be devoted to it. 1 Timothy 6, right? The, the, the catalog of warning against a love of money. 1 Timothy 6, verse 9 says, Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. That pulls in the opposite direction of what God wants for you. Right? Verse 10, The love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. Well, what about the love of God? The love of God is, is, is the root of all sorts of good things, righteousness, good deeds, isn't it? You love God, you'll love others. But if you love money, you'll just love self. And it will be the root of all sorts of sin, not righteousness. So you see, it pulls in the opposite direction of God. In, in verse 17, Paul says, Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty or to set their hope on, un, on the uncertainty of riches. So, so the love of money, loyalty to money, uh, makes a man or a woman proud, haughty, he says. And, and, and it, a love and devotion to money uh, causes one to set their hope upon money. To set their trust and their, and their dreams upon money. Those things are meant for God. Your hope and your trust and your dreams, your aspirations are to be set upon God because you love Him. You see how they pull in opposite directions. And then lastly, in, in 1 Timothy 6, 17-19, listen to this. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty or to set their hope in the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. And then verse 18, command them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasures of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. That is the direction that God pulls you in. That's what it means to be a slave of God. But what does it look like to be a slave of money, to serve money? Well, instead of doing good, there are more temptations towards evil. Instead of being rich in good works, you become rich in unrighteous wealth. Instead of being generous and ready to share, you hoard for yourself. Instead of storing up for yourself the treasure of a good foundation for the future, you store up fading wealth in this passing world. And instead of, of taking hold of that which is life indeed, you cling to a false and vain life in the pursuit of riches. These two masters are mutually exclusive. You cannot serve God and wealth, Jesus says. MacArthur, John MacArthur says, those who love money will despise and resent God for what he demands of them regarding their money. You can't serve God and wealth. You can have God 
and wealth, but they both cannot have you. Do you see the difference? Why? Because to serve God is to love God, dear saint. To be His is to be devoted to Him alone. Think of it. Men, you cannot love and be devoted to both your wife and a mistress. Right? Right, ladies? You can, your husband can't come home and say, well, I love them both. I love you both. I'm devoted to you both. No. No, that's not how it works. Isn't that right? So it is with God and money. You cannot love God. You cannot be devoted to God. And then turn around and say your love you love and are devoted to the mistress of money. It's impossible. John Calvin says, where riches hold the dominion of the heart, God has lost his authority. And again, Christ isn't just calling you to serve and love God more than money. That's not what he's saying. But to serve and love God exclusively. Now, I've, I, I, I've, I, I've, you know, fudged in the wording of this, and that's my fault. But uh, I heard a man say, and, and it's very well said, you know, we, we should not tell God's people, well, as long as God has number one, the number one place in your heart, right? That's what God wants. He wants to be number one. Well, if he's number one, then that means there's a number two, and a number three, and a number four, and a number five, and it goes on, right? No, that's not what God wants. He wants all of your heart, dear child of God. And he is worth all of your heart. And dear sinner, this is what God demands of you. Full, unwavering, exclusive loyalty. So much so that Jesus says, if you love me, you hate your wife, you hate your children, you hate your parents, you hate your very life. What does he mean? It, he doesn't mean, well, as long as you love me a little bit more than yourself or your wife or your children or your parents. It's not what he means. He says, love me, period. And then the love for all of those things will flow out of your love for me. Amen. You see. That's what God demands. And dear sinner, that is what he calls you to this morning. He is not calling you to just be poor for his sake, to give up all of your earthly riches. No, he is calling you to give him all of your heart, Amen. all of your love, all of your loyalty. And you do that by repenting of your materialism and your selfishness and turning to God in Christ in faith. And you place your whole 
weight of your soul and eternity. You bank it all on him. You say, Lord, I trust you to be the Lord of my life, the Savior of my soul, the, the, and my, my, my key into heaven. That's what Christ calls of you, dear sinner. So dear, dear church, I ask you, will you spend your time here on earth gathering up earthly treasures? Imagine with me for a moment. Imagine taking your favorite item of clothing, your precious jewelry, your prized collector's item, your expensive gadgets, or your piles of money. Imagine taking it to heaven with you. Do you really think that you will stand there in heaven spending any time looking at those earthly treasures? Do you really think that you will say, hey, Jesus, come here, come here, Lord, and look at my treasures, look at my earthly possessions. Aren't they great? Do you really think that that's what's going to happen? Do you really think that at the end of your life, those things will matter one bit? Or do you have the perspective of Christ that these things of the earth are very little things? They are insignificant, unimportant, and trivial in comparison to the true treasures of the kingdom of Christ. Won't these earthly possessions pale in comparison to the riches of the glory of Christ that will be yours for all eternity? The answer is yes. Dear Saint, the Lord offers you the immeasurable riches of the kingdom of Christ. So be faithful. Be a faithful steward of this world's riches. And He will reward you with those true riches in this life and the life to come. Set God as your all-consuming priority in your life. Serve Him with love and devotion. Steward your wealth for the glory of Christ by faithfully giving on into next year. Make a, make a commitment before God that you will be faithful in 2024. And you will find, Christian, that the greatest treasure, which is a living and loving relationship with the eternal God, will be yours for all eternity. And it will be your own, he says. No one will take that away. Let's pray. Stand with me as we pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would continue to do that heart work in us. Oh Lord, forgive us for our preoccupation with this world. Forgive us for the, the, the little love and devotion that we do give to it. Forgive us, Lord, for, the, for wandering in our affections. May our heart be all yours, Lord Jesus.
And help us, God, to be men and women of faithfulness, that our spiritual character would be built one day at a time, one week, one month, one year at a time, so that at, at, at the end of our lives we would stand before you and hear those wonderful words from your lips, Lord Jesus, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Oh God, we long for that joy. We pray, Lord, that that joy would even be ours today. We pray for you to come today. I'm tired of this world. Oh God, this world is so empty, so full of disappointment. Oh God, come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Take your people home where there is no pain or sorrow. But Lord, if you would tarry, if you would wait any longer, then help us to be faithful in the meantime. Enable us to gird up our loins and to keep our lamps lit so that when you come, you would not find us asleep. Be with your people. May their lives prove your worthiness. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's sing.